please. This morning we took some time to emphasize the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ in Luke 2. On Tuesday evening we will take some time as well as I will be reading through what I have compiled to be a chronological Christmas narrative. It will begin with the prophecies in the Old Testament and read through the New Testament fulfillment of many of those prophecies. And we will do that on Tuesday evening. Last year we did that in a Sunday school. Uh, since Christmas is on a Tuesday this year, we'll take our time on Tuesday evening and read through that together. But this evening we're going to continue in our John series. We've been in John for some time now. We are now in John 5. You recall last week we looked at the first 23 verses of John 5. Jesus Christ healing the impotent man at the pool of Bethesda. We recall the great conflict there where these leaders of the Jews, the Pharisees, had a wrong perspective. And in this wrong perspective, they, instead of seeing the miracle that Jesus Christ had performed, were so busy looking at the fact that the impotent man was carrying his bed on the Sabbath that they could not even recognize that great miracle that Jesus Christ had performed. We will pick up there this week as Jesus is still speaking to these Jews, the leaders of the Jews, most likely uh, the bulk of them being Pharisees, as we would understand it from Scripture. And let's pick up in verse 24. We'll read through verse 29. John chapter 5. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. And hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. The title for the message this evening is The Resurrection of the Dead. It is one of God's great truths that for all of the amazing ways in which Jesus Christ had confirmed his deity and authority from God the Father throughout his ministry, for all of the miracles which he did, beginning with certainly the changing of water into wine at Cana of Galilee, all the way until the day he rose bodily from the grave. It is one of the greatest of God's truths that the supreme confirmation of Christ's authority as given to him by God the Father is a confirmation that is still future in its scope. The bodily of resurrection of Jesus Christ was the first fruits of this event. The indwelling Holy Spirit that indwells those who are born-again believers is the earnest or the down payment of this event. But the day that all of Christ's authority will finally be vindicated in the eyes of all of creation will be the day when our Savior, excuse me, when our salvation is fully realized through our own resurrection from the dead. On that day, on the day when the full resurrection of the dead is complete, there will be no man who does not acknowledge the power and authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. And on that day, 
the scriptures tell us every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This was the point that Jesus Christ was making last time we were together in the book of John. Recall Jesus was telling the Pharisees that all honor is given to the Son in order that the Son may then honor the Father, in order that all honor may go to the Father. Jesus is speaking to these Pharisees and teaching them that God the Father has given him all authority and all power, even the power to raise men from the dead, to quicken them, as Jesus Christ says it, in order that the glory might be to the Son in the same manner that it is to the Father. But unfortunately, unfortunately, as we discovered last week and we have seen throughout the book of John, For large numbers of people, the time in which they finally bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ will be one in which it is already too late for them to receive the fullest blessings, the fullest benefits of true belief. While they will be resurrected as God has promised, for many in this world, for most we would understand it from scripture, the resurrection will be for the purpose of judgment not for life. So as Jesus continues to teach this lesson to the Pharisees concerning this time both of joy and of sorrow, of victory and of loss, he makes it very clear that there is only two paths that a man can walk. Two end destinations, both end in a resurrection. One, the resurrection unto life. The other, the resurrection as we see in verse 29 unto damnation. And that's what we are going to look at this evening. The resurrection of the dead is an important topic for us as Christians to understand. It's one that's important for us in that we can know the hope that we have in Christ, but it is important for us in order that we might be able to properly express this truth to those who have not heard. Because the resurrection will touch every man. And we will see that this evening. Two two realities of the resurrection of the dead as taught by our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we will look at this evening. Two realities of the resurrection of the dead taught by Jesus Christ. Let's look at the first reality this evening from verse 24. We read it already. First reality, every man will choose. Every man will choose. Let me read it again. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. It cannot be stated enough, nor should it be minimized, that the opportunity that every man has to receive eternal salvation is available exclusively in this life. Jesus, again, tells the Pharisees here that man who hears his message, that's Christ's message, the message that he has brought from God as the eternal word of God and believes that he is, in fact, from God the Father, shall not come into condemnation. Now, we spoke many weeks ago about the realities of condemnation and that every man, when he is born rests under condemnation for his unbelief. This condition of condemnation is a condition of certainty, diverted only through personal belief in Jesus Christ alone. 
Jesus' statement in verse 24 is very helpful to us. It's very helpful to us in that it gives us insight into what Jesus Christ means when he says that a man must believe on his name. And notice how Jesus Christ describes this transaction. He says, first of all, in verse 24, He that heareth my word. Now, the idea of hearing the message of Jesus Christ encapsulates more than simply processing audio signals. Hearing implies a mind that is listening to that which is being said and taking it into consideration. Now, a wonderful example of this is the first four and a half years, uh, well, four years and three months maybe, of my wife and I, our marriage. You say hearing but not listening? This is not a good illustration, Pastor. No, hear me out, hear me out. For the first four years plus of our marriage, my wife and I incessantly lived by train tracks. We lived at a house and we were probably about a hundred yards from train tracks. And not just train tracks, but a intersection that the tracks crossed. And so, of course, where you have a place where tracks cross road, you have those little uh, bars that come down and the ding, 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 ding. But there's typically a law in every state that says when a train is going to cross a road, even though they've got the barriers down and even though you hear the, the, the dinging and you've got the blinking lights, what does the train have to do? They have to lay on that horn and they really lay on that horn. And every once in a while you'll get a guy that's clever and he does all sorts of fun things with his horn and doot, 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 doot and whatnot. But they really lay on that horn. Well, that was the first year of my wife and I's marriage that we were 100 yards from the tracks. Well, after that year, our, our house molded. We were down in Florida, and just about everything in our house molded. We said, we've got to get out of this house. And so the house next door was available. So we thought, well, we were renting from the school that I was working at. Well, let's just move to that one. Well, the unfortunate thing was that house was 50 yards closer to the train tracks. And so we said, well, we've got to get out of this house. Let's move closer. So we moved closer. We, we got closer to the train tracks. We're now 50 yards away from the ding, 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 and, then, and it's very loud. But, you know, there comes this amazing point in a, in, in a person's existence where if they live near something long enough or if they hear a sound enough times, the body, somehow the brain just cuts off a sound. Have you ever noticed that? To where you don't even hear something anymore if, it, if, you, if it's something that's repetitive enough. And so by the second year of my wife and I's marriage, we could literally go a whole day and we'd look at each other and say, did, did a train even go by today? And then, of course, 20 minutes later, we'd hear the and we'd realize that the trains have been going by all day. We just didn't hear it anymore because our, our minds heard the sound, recognized that that sound was absolutely inconsequential to our existence, and cut that sound off from being truly processed in our minds. Now, we all do this from time to time, do we not? We all have various aspects of our lives where we say, this sound really doesn't matter to me, so I'm just going to cut that sound off from my existence, and we simply don't hear things. Well, many people go through their lives with this same attitude toward the gospel of Jesus Christ. Perhaps they have heard the words that have come out of someone's mouth. Perhaps they have read the words on the page of a tract but they have never considered the gospel as being important to them. Therefore, they have never processed what the gospel has to say. 
Perhaps even you have been this way this season. You know, Christmas music, there's only a, a short window of time where we listen to Christmas music. But as I'm parking those cars at the hospital for my second job, and I'm valeting those cars, the fifth or sixth time Frosty the Snowman comes on, I just don't even want to hear it anymore. And I start to try to block out Frosty the Snowman because that song, that song just really gets under your skin when you hear it so many times in a row in one day. And so it gets to the point where some of these Christmas songs, we might start blocking out. Well, that's great until those songs are songs that have an important message. And we're still blocking them out. And so society has done that. Now, Christmas is a big tradition and these sorts of things. But they've blocked out the spiritual message surrounding these songs of the faith that just happen to be played around Christmas. Like the droning of a, drain, of a train horn, they simply dismiss the message of the gospel as inconsequential to their lives. But Christ states that a man who will pass from death unto life is the man who hears Christ's words. They don't just come in and get cut off before they process. He hears his words. He says, he that heareth my word. And then secondly, notice he says in verse 24, and believeth on him that sent me. Belief. Belief is what I like to call the least common denominator to every gospel presentation found throughout the Bible. When you're in math class, uh, maybe it's been a long time since you've been in a math class. It's been a long time since I've been in a math class, but I always enjoyed math. And Math, you, you at some point deal with fractions. And when you're adding or subtracting or multiplying fractions, these sorts of things, you want to bring those fractions down to a least common denominator. The bottom number is the same. And when, when there's a least common denominator, when those are always the same, then it's very easy to manipulate fractions. It's very easy to add them and subtract them. Well, I like to think of the, the expectation, the necessity of belief as the least common denominator to every gospel account throughout the scriptures. Jesus Christ taught in John 3 that every man is condemned because of unbelief. And the only sure remedy then is to pass from this unbelief to belief. Now upon hearing the message of Jesus Christ, it is the responsibility then of every man to respond to this message by believing in this message and that it is in fact from God. There is no earthly message that has true spiritual authority. The only message that has this true spiritual authority is the one sourced in God, found in God's word alone. And that's where the Pharisees had gotten confused. See, they had taken this idea of Messiah and brought it down to this science of do's and don'ts and Sabbath days and laws and regulations to the point where when Messiah finally came and said, believe on me, they missed it. Because their authority was sourced in man's message, not in God's message. Jesus had told these Pharisees already that his message is sourced in God. And so to hear and believe Jesus' words is to believe that Jesus is from God and therefore believing that Jesus is sent by God, <coughs> believing unto salvation. The man who will hear and believe, as Jesus states, hath everlasting life 
and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Now, we have done a Tuesday word study on this word past. For those of you that were here, I know many of you were not. So let's do a quick synopsis of this word. The word past, as it's used in the New Testament in particular, is a word that has to do with a change from one thing to another. But the particular emphasis of this word past is the departure from one thing and entering into something else. And it has a particular emphasis upon leaving something behind. And this is the word that Jesus Christ is using as he's speaking of belief unto salvation. That a man leaves the path of death and he is changed into this path of life. What a beautiful picture, is it not? Jesus has previously described every man as under condemnation. Original sin has put every man on the path toward the lake of fire. Unbelief is the sin for which every man is condemned before God. And every man's personal sins, those things that you do that are contrary to God's character, to God's will, to God's word, those times that you lie, that you cheat, that you steal, that you disobey your parents, that you break the law, that you disobey government, that you uh, just kind of smooth over taxes or whatever the case may be, all of those dishonesties, all of those lies, everything, all of those sins confirm to us that we are in fact on our way to a sinner's hell. And so every man is by default on this path toward death that Jesus Christ is describing here. But the day that you hear the words of Jesus Christ, as he says in verse 24, and believe on the one who sent him, you depart from the path of death, you leave the path that you are on entirely, departing from it and walking a new path. That path being life. Unless any man say, well, pastor, how can we be labeled as unbelievers by default when we have not even been given the truest of choice, Romans 1.20 reminds us that from the very creation of the world, the invisible things from God are clearly seen, testifying to us that there is in fact a God. And to that man that will receive the revelation that God has given to him, God will be faithful to give him more until the day that a man hears the gospel of Jesus Christ and can make that decision unto salvation. And so we understand, as Jesus Christ teaches in verse 24, that every man will indeed choose. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no third choice. When confronted with the reality of life or death, you can't say none of the above. I used to love that question in college. You know, uh, multiple choice, when you get to a certain level, you can kind of gauge multiple choice pretty easily on a test. And I used to love those tests in college and in high school because they didn't always put a multiple choice, um, none of the above. They didn't always put that answer. Now, if the teacher always put the answer, then you couldn't always bank on it. But I always knew that if a teacher didn't regularly use none of the above and none of the above was one of the choices, then the answer was none of the above. You didn't even have to think about it. How wonderful is that when they give you the answer like that? Test-taking skills. But there will be no none of the above choice. When you stand before God. There is no none of the above choice now. These scriptures as they're open. The gospel as it's proclaimed. As we hear 
the, the truths of God's word expounded as men and women listen to these Christmas songs and hear about Jesus Christ and hear about his birth and hear about the peace on earth and hear about glory to God in the highest and peace and goodwill toward men. And as they hear these things, there is no none of the above. There is no other. There is life and there is death. And those are our choices. And every man will make a choice in this life and that choice will echo into eternity. First truth this evening, every man will make a choice. Now we begin to learn about the resurrection of the dead because secondly, this evening, every man will hear and will come forth. Verses 25 through 29, every man will hear and will come forth. Now we've just learned that the first step to believing on Jesus' name is hearing his message. We, hear, we understand this from the, the epistles as well. How can they hear without a preacher? You know, there are many in this world and every generation that have and will continue to refuse to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. If, there, if there's a second theme that we have learned in the book of John, the first theme being unbelief, or excuse me, belief, that second theme, that second vein of truth that permeates the book of John is this truth of unbelief. That there are men that want nothing to do with God. They want nothing to do with belief. There are simply men that don't want what God has to offer, even if they know what it is. But Jesus also teaches that there's coming a day where for all of those who refuse to hear his voice in this earth, there is coming a day where every man will, in fact, hear his voice. Now, as Jesus Christ describes the resurrection of the dead in these verses, he describes two distinct phases. And as we look at the body of teaching in Scripture, we understand two distinct phases to the resurrection of the dead. We've learned about this in our Daniel series many, many months back now. We learned about this in our Sunday school series as we were looking into end times events. And we understand it throughout Scripture that there are two distinct resurrections. The first resurrection of the dead is what is known as the resurrection unto life. Now, this resurrection unto life will also have two separate resurrections as far as we can understand from Scripture. The first of these two resurrections unto life, we call it one resurrection separated by some time, is for those who are dead in Christ, specifically those who have died from the time when Jesus Christ ascended up into heaven to the time when he raptures his church right before the seven years of tribu tribulation. And as I just mentioned, this will be the time, as we understand from Scripture, when the trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together. That word caught up literally being that word rapture, We'll be raptured together and we will meet the Lord in the air. And the scriptures say, so shall we ever be with the Lord. And that's the first phase of the first resurrection, which is the resurrection unto life. Now, the second phase of this resurrection takes place after those seven years of tribulation. We know from scripture, from our end time studies, these seven years, these are the seven years, what we often call the end times be seven years of great tribulation where God is chastening his people Israel back to himself. This is the time where Antichrist will arise. There will be a great world power that will arise. There will be tremendous conflict, tremendous bloodshed in the second three and a half years. 
God will open up the wrath of his judgment upon the earth and there will be tremendous natural disasters and uh, uh, demonic forces at work in that time. Well, then those seven years are over. And the scriptures describe another phase to this resurrection unto life when those who have died during those seven years of tribulation in Christ as well as the Old Testament saints will take part in their resurrection unto life. At which time, all of those who have believed on Jesus Christ from all ages and all of those who have believed by faith in God, even throughout the Old Testament, will have their resurrected bodies, will be living in life. In the presence of God, Jesus Christ will begin his 1,000 year reign, what we know as the millennial reign. Jesus, as Jesus spoke to the Pharisees in verses 25 and 26, it is this resurrection that is in view, the first resurrection. The authority was given to the Son by the Father by virtue of Jesus Christ's coming sacrifice, which we're reading about in our uh, Sunday morning. We're reading, we're in John 19 now, and we're seeing uh, Jesus' crucifixion at this time in John 19. And this sacrifice on the cross of Calvary will be used to see that every man who has believed on the name of Jesus Christ will be resurrected. And then, of course, all of those Old Testament saints who have died in hope will be raised as well. Now, following this first resurrection, the millennial reign begins. There will still be multitudes, however, that believed on Jesus Christ that were not killed throughout the tribulation. And so they are alive at the time of Jesus Christ's second coming. As we understand it from, from our reading of scripture and our eschatology, our study of the end times, these people who are alive at the end of this seven years will enter into the millennial kingdom in their, their normal bodies, not resurrected bodies, in their bodies that they have been living in. And so these people will still have their bodies that are not perfected, that are not resurrected, that are still touched by sin, that still have a sin nature. However, during this thousand year reign of Christ, where Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning upon this earth, Satan will be bound in the bottomless pit, so there will be no temptation unto sin, and any sin that is committed will be dealt with swiftly by Jesus Christ. Now, the offspring of these who entered into the millennial kingdom, all of those being believers, their offspring will still need to choose, will still need to make a choice to believe on Jesus Christ themselves. They will still need to make a choice, even in the millennial reign, to accept or reject the authority of Jesus Christ through belief. And as we follow this theme to the end of those thousand years, Satan will be released from the bottomless pit at that time. And what we will find is though Jesus Christ in all of his glory has ruled and reigned upon the earth for 1,000 years, and although throughout that time sickness and death have been conquered, and the glory of God will be manifest, yet in the midst of all of Christ's glory, when Satan is released, there will be scores of people who are deceived into rebelling against Jesus Christ's kingship, his rule. 
And on that day, it will be confirmed to man once again that even in the midst of a perfect situation, the heart of man is still sinful. That the heart of unbelief is still there. That if we could actually get rid of all of the external influences that would cause us to sin. You say, it's not me that's sinful. It's all of the things around me that cause me to do wrong. No, it's not. The end of the millennial reign will prove once and for all that even in the midst of an ideal situation, the heart of man will still reject the authority of Jesus Christ and want that authority for themselves. And that will be the theme wherewith Jesus Christ will once and for all eliminate unbelief as Satan is loosed. They raise the army. They contend against Christ. Christ speaks a word. They are defeated. And sin and death and hell are cast into the lake of fire for eternity. And this brings about what we know as the second resurrection. This is what Jesus Christ describes in verse 29 as the resurrection of damnation the second resurrection is reserved exclusively for those who did not believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ throughout their life upon this earth and at the end of the millennium Revelation 20 verses 10 through 15 says this I've summarized it let me read it for you and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And then verse 15, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That book of life is the book that records the names of every man, woman, and child who has believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and who has been counted faithful unto belief in God throughout the ages. All of those who died outside of Christ will be judged at what is called the great white throne of judgment. And every man who stands there on that day is standing there because he is in unbelief. Thus will end God's dealings with this world. Thus is what Jesus Christ is teaching here in John 5, 24 through 29, as he has described to the Pharisees the authority that God has given to him. And the end of the authority, the, the very end of all that God has given to them is manifest in the day when every man hears and comes forth unto resurrection. You know, this past Friday was supposed to be the end of the world. You heard it on the news. They made so big of a deal out of it. I think the media is just bored. But we who are believers in Jesus Christ might perhaps roll our eyes at man's feeble attempts to rest mankind's future on Mayan calendars and prophecies of philosophers and mystics. Yet... Make no mistake, ladies and gentlemen, there is coming a day when the world will 
end as we know it. There's coming a day when this will be initiated at the rapture. First resurrection of the dead. Seven years of tribulation. Second resurrection unto life. Thousand years of unfathomable joy. Then the resurrection unto death. Judgment for all those who do not believe. Then eternity. Where the old heaven and earth will pass away. Where Jesus Christ will make it all new. And we will dwell in the presence of our Lord forever. So rest assured, ladies and gentlemen, while the end of the world was not this past Friday, the end of the world is coming. And while we might scoff at those who would trust etched stone to discover for themselves when the world might end, may such speculation on the part of the world be a reminder to we who are believers in the truth of God's word that time is short that time is short not only could Jesus Christ come back at this very moment but we could step out those doors and step into eternity through death and this is the life where we choose and rest assured regardless of the choice that is made in this life every man will hear will come forth one day. When? We do not know. But it is our responsibility to be prepared. So question number one, for we who are in this room this evening, are you a believer? If eternity did happen now, if Jesus Christ came back now, if you stepped out of those doors and something terrible happened, a car accident or some other terrible accident, thing whereby you were ushered into eternity, are you prepared now? Would you go to heaven? Would you be a part of the resurrection unto life? Would you find yourself standing before God with your name written in the book of life? Or would you have to await the resurrection unto damnation? Would you stand before God and hear those words, guilty, and would you be cast along with Satan and his demons into the lake of fire? Question one. If you are not a believer this evening, may I encourage you to get that taken care of. The gospel has been presented in this message, but let me summarize it for you again. First, you must recognize your problem. That you are a sinner. That every man is a sinner. And through that, we recognize that we are on a path toward hell. But Jesus Christ has made a way for salvation. And we must recognize that way. We must understand that Jesus Christ was born in a manger. That he lived a perfect life. That he died upon a cross to bear your sins in his own body. So that we could live. That he took upon himself the punishment that you deserve. But he didn't stay in the grave. But he rose again the third day in victory over the grave. And because he rose again he has promised us that we can too. Unto life. And just as a man can hear but not process, we must recognize that we have a problem, recognize that Jesus Christ is the solution, but then accept that solution for ourselves. We must appropriate that. We must agree with Jesus Christ. Turn to Christ. 
and accept him as our Savior. And when we take him at his word, what the scriptures describe as believing on the name of Jesus Christ to be saved, the scriptures tell us, and Jesus Christ assured us, we will in fact be saved. For those of us that are believers in the room this evening, which I trust is most of us, question for you. I've mentioned already, it could happen at any moment. The rapture, Jesus Christ could take us home. Death could come at any moment. Our lives are, in fact, very fragile. So the question is, are you living your life today in eager anticipation of the life to come? Are you heaping to yourself things in this earth that have no bearing on eternity? Are you so busy dealing with today and tomorrow and the next paycheck and the conflicts and the dreams and the hopes of this life that you fail to live in obedience, laying up for yourself treasure in heaven. May I encourage you that we would lay aside those weights that so easily beset us, as Hebrews tells us, and run this race on this earth with patience. That we would do what we ought to do, that we would live in accordance with the expectations of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we would devote our lives to the furtherance of His kingdom upon this earth, knowing that all of this will pass away. But what we do for Christ is eternal. Let's pray together.